0: All right, Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. Like he said, there are Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you from Westside. Please take that home and enjoy God's Word at home. We love God's Word here at Westside, and we want you to as well. After I read the Scripture, I'm going to say this is the Word of the Lord, and we've done this a couple times, and we respond with thanks be to God because we are thankful for God's Word here. We believe that God wrote this, and the fact that we get to have it we are thankful for that here at westside as well so as uh, isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 14 again the lord spoke to uh, sorry <clears throat> again the lord spoke to ahaz ask a sign of the lord your god let it be deep as sheol or high as heaven but ahaz said i will not ask and i will not put the lord to the test and he said hear then o house of david is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my god also Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning again. We're glad that you're here. And as we start the season of Advent, um, maybe you didn't grow up in church or um, maybe you grew up uh, in church and they sort of did maybe celebrate this and this is all new. I just want to put the jelly on the bottom shelf for you today, okay? Uh, The word Advent actually means the coming or the arrival of. And so, um, actually, newspapers use this, you know, the arrival of the television, the arrival of the internet, if you will, and church history records that we've always celebrated this as the arrival and the coming of Jesus Christ. And what's so cool about this is there's really three things that we do at Advent, and, and so you've sort of heard this a little bit. What we do first is we look back to see what God has done. Um, We read these Old Testament passages, and even the New Testament passages are actually old for us to see what God has done in fulfilling His promises. But we don't just live in the past. We don't just look back. Advent also tells us to look around to see what God currently is doing in the world and in our lives. We pray it every Sunday, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love what uh, Professor N.T. Wright says. He says that Christmas has now become cozy for us. But Advent calls us to stay awake and to see what God is currently doing. So we look back to see what God has done. We look around to see what God is doing. But then we live in this angst. We live in what theologians call the already and the not yet. Because Jesus Christ has already come. But he's also promised that he's coming again. So we don't just look back and look around. We also look forward to the great second coming of Jesus Christ. And we live sort of in this angst, as Paul says in the book of Romans, that all of creation groans literally to be saved. I read an article this week that says that Advent is like a cosmic ache that you can feel in your bones. That everybody knows that something's wrong and that we're waiting for the Savior to come again to make this right. But as I've been studying and sort of challenged in my own understanding, Advent is actually just a chapter, just one chapter in the entire story that God is writing. And I've been challenged in this by what we say here at Westside, because at Westside we say that it's all about Jesus, right? Well, if it is all about Jesus then how did the early church worship and make it about Jesus? Well, you see, actually, they ran into a little bit of a problem. Because under Constantine, Christianity sort of became this national religion, if you will. And so they saw masses of people baptized, but there really wasn't a direct change in their life. Sound familiar, right? So large numbers of people baptized, but now their life went right back to the Roman culture. It was observed by the Roman calendar and this, that, and the other. So what we see the early church do is they say, if it is all about Jesus, then the life of Christ should shape our life. You see, Jesus doesn't come into our life as an accessory. We don't add Jesus to something. Jesus comes into our life as Christians as a necessity that our life revolves around the life of Christ. And this is what's been known historically as the church calendar, if you will. And so what we're going to do, West Side, is starting this Sunday, leading us all the way past Easter and into what's known as Pentecost, we're going to be celebrating the life of Jesus Christ. And so we're saying that it's so much about Jesus that our entire church and the life stops and revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. And so the seasons are known as this. The first one is this, um, Advent and Christmas, right? So Advent leads us to the promise and the feasting of Christmas. And do you know when we celebrate Advent in the darkest time of the year. That's historically what we see. We see not even a hundred years removed from the apostles in church history that the early church celebrated Advent, the coming, the arrival of Jesus Christ in the darkest time of year. Do you know what that reminds us? That oftentimes the promises of God come into our lives in the most broken and darkest season of our life. But then Advent and Christmas lead us into what's known as epiphany which literally just means the manifestation of Jesus Christ. So now we'll study passages where we have this boy who is God in the temple saying things like, I was in my father's house and I must be about my father's business. And then we understand the statements of when Jesus says, "Um, Before Abraham was, I am. And if you've seen me, you've seen the father. But then that leads us into a season called Lent. And you're like, I thought I bought a roller for that. No, 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 no. It's an entirely different thing. This is about the temptation and the death of Jesus Christ. This enters us into a season of what Jesus says, to take up your cross and to follow me. That we literally feel this idea. We'll read passages where Jesus is being tempted by Satan himself. Or that when Jesus enters into a town, most often the people that recognize him are demon-possessed people. During this season, it reminds us that there is a real darkness in this world. And that it is through the temptation and the death of Jesus. You see, we celebrate. We want to rush to Easter. It's so great. We buy the clothes and do the picture and do all the stuff. But listen, I think we have failed when we do not enter into this season of denial. And then also what we see is Good Friday. Listen, we can't have Easter Sunday in an empty tomb until we have Good Friday and a bloody cross. And so this season then Lent leads us into Easter celebration where we're just waiting and we're waiting and then we celebrate that Jesus burst forth from the grave and now the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. But then that now leads us into 50 days after, which is what's known as Pentecost, which is the spirit of Jesus. Do you see now, it's not that we enter in and we have our own story and then Jesus just enters into our life and our life never changes. No, 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 no. This season, well, here it is. This season makes a shift that Christianity is not about observation, but it's about participation in the story that God is writing. Maybe this will be helpful Um, A couple months ago, my wife and I got to go to Oklahoma City for uh, one of my brother's weddings, and there we went to the OKC Memorial, and some of you maybe are too young to understand what that was, but on April 19th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh parked his truck behind a federal building and set off a bomb, killing 168 people, many of them children. It's the reason why you can't park around a federal building anymore. And there, there's there's two parts to the memorial. Um, There's one in the building close by, and you go in and you pay like $8. And and it was interesting that it doesn't start on the first floor, that the lady directs you over to the elevators, and you go to the second floor. And as soon as the elevator doors open, there's a huge mural. And it says, Oklahoma City, 6 a.m. And what you do is you relive the entire day. So when you get off the elevator at 6 a.m. and it's sunny there in Oklahoma City and then you go in and you see a docket of everything that was going to take place that day in the federal building and then they usher you into a room where there was going to be I think it was a water district hearing and then you sit down and you hear what's taking place the hearing. And then all of a sudden you hear the entire explosion and the lights flicker. And then on the wall has all the faces of the people that were in that room. And you walk, listen, you're not just observing. You are participating and walking through the entire memorial. All the way up to when they find Timothy McVeigh to his trial and all of that. But then close by that place is what they have is called the reflecting pool. Off over to one side is a memorial and chairs for every chair, for every person that was there, and there's even small ones for the little kids. I mean, it is a quiet, quiet place. But I was so interested that when you walk into that part, there's two big entrances. There's concrete with, like, steel over it. And over one of the entrances, it says this, We come here to remember those who were killed, those who survived, and those changed forever. May all who leave here know the impact of violence. And may this memorial offer comfort, strength, peace, and hope, and serenity. As I got to looking, over each entrance, one has 901, and then on the other one, it says 903. And it's kind of ambiguous. You don't really know what it means. And so I asked one of the guards that was there, and he said, the bomb went off on April 19th at 9.02 a.m. So you live in 9.02 a.m. at the reflecting pool. You enter in and life began, life continued, but here, the guard said, life stops. That is what we are participating in in this season to lead us all the way through the life of Christ. That we are not just observers in the story that God is writing, but God is inviting us to participate in this season. And if Hebrews 13 is right, that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then all of these promises and everything that comes to a climax in the person of Christ, we are participating in. And so in this season of Advent and waiting, there's going to be a word There's going to be a word over the ensuing weeks that's going to anchor us, and I bet you can't guess what it is. I bet you can't guess what it is. wish we had a real big poster board behind me that probably said what the word was, right? Um, Behold. Behold is the word. Behold is used 100, or I'm sorry, 1,069 times in the ESV Bible. The word in the Oxford English Dictionary means to stop and to gaze at. And it means very similarly almost the same thing in the Hebrew and uh, New Testament scriptures. But what's interesting is, is that you can actually outline this entire book, the entire story of the Bible, with the word behold. The first time that we see the word behold used is in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, and God uses it. Look at what he says in Genesis 129. And God said, behold. I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. All the hippies are like, seeds right there, man. See what I'm saying, right? Jeez. Yeah, and poison ivy. He gave you that. What are you doing with that? Okay, nothing. All right. Sorry, I almost preached angry there for a second. And every tree with its seed and its fruit you shall have for fruit. So what we see on behold, the first time that, that it's ever used, God uses it, and it's behold. Look at what I've done. Look at this. It's the universe and the earth. This is great, right? And he's saying that to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Behold, look at what I've done. But we know that the story changes and that instead of worshiping God, we wanted to be God. In the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. The first one was, behold, look at what I've done. The second one, and the last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament, is, behold, this is what I'm going to do. And we see this fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist who prepares the way Jesus Christ. So first book of the Bible, behold, look at what I've done. Last book in the Old Testament, behold, this is what I'm going to do. And can you believe it? The first book in the New Testament, first chapter, it says this, but as he considered these things, what's the word? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Behold, look at what I'm doing. Behold, and then the last book and the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says these words. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Isn't that incredible? That we can outline literally the entire story of the Bible with a word that God gave us, which is behold. And the word behold means to stop and to gaze and to look at. Listen, that's profound. Okay, I see I'm not making sense. Listen. I don't think a lot of us think that the number one word that God has for us to outline the entire Bible is behold, either look at what I've done or look at what I'm going to do. I don't think we picture God as saying that to us. We think that if God has anything to say to us, it's not behold, it is behave. You see how it changes everything? I mean, think about it, right? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into this problem. God had a garden of grace with only a law tree. Only one. God's permission always outweighs his restriction. God said, everything's for you, this one thing's for mine. It is a garden of grace and only one tree that is law, that do not. And behold, look at everything that I've done. And what do we want? We wanted the one thing that God said, that's for me. And so now everything for us changes. Now, question. Is there stuff in here that relates to behavior? Yes, absolutely. A lot of it has to do with keeping your pants on at the appropriate time, okay? All right? I mean, we just read a lot of stuff. It's just in there. I'm just quoting the Bible, all right? That's most of the time when people have a huge problem with the Bible. It's never like... Jesus, I am God, it's like, boom, that issue. That's in there, but that's not the primary message that God has for us. God's primary message to you is not behave. And many of us think that's it. And and, and question, if you think that's the picture of God and the basis of God's relationship with you, I just have one question. How's that going? A lot of joy in the Lord over here, right? Right? Cause I gotta grit my teeth and I gotta I gotta try and I gotta get it together because God's got and like even this time of year right even the guy it's okay parents I'm not gonna go there but I'd love to okay right um you know the suit and the and he's checking it twice right and um, if you don't then you're not that's that's not good news listen behavior behavior is advice that's advice. I meet with people all the time who think that that's the basis of Christianity. Pastor, my marriage is this. I got to do this. Tell me what Bible study. Tell what I need to do. Tell me what I need to get into. I need advice. I need advice. The primary message of Christianity is not advice. It's an announcement. Listen to me. Advent. The announcement of Advent is behold, look at what God has done. Not behave. That is the goodness and kindness of our God. Because listen, when we think it's advice, then we belittle our need. So think about it this way. If somebody's drowning, if you're witnessing somebody drowning, how good is it for you to go, Bill, Bill, you just ate, right? You're supposed to wait 30 minutes. Bill, you're drowning. Bill, kick harder. Bill, do the thing for the stuff, all right? Bill, I don't know if your name's Bill. I'm just saying that, okay, right? Listen, you don't give a drowning man advice. You make an announcement. We're jumping in to save you. The message of Advent is not God giving you advice to behave better. The announcement of Advent is you were dead and sunk to the bottom. There was no hope. But God in his riches and kindness, for it was God who made us alive together with Christ. For by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own own doing, but it is a gift of God so that no man may boast. No man stands before God and says, I perfectly applied the advice that God gave me. But we throw ourselves on the announcement that God has said, behold, look at what I've done. It's Behold. And in our first passage today in Isaiah 7, see, we always take it out of context. It's always on the sweatshirt and the coffee mug. And behold, Emmanuel, God with us. And we sip and it's great. And it's a hallmarks on the thing, on the TV, right? And I have to say this every year, okay? Those movies are a joke. Can we all agree with that, right? It's the same movie. His train's going to make it. He's going to come in with a golden lab retriever. Oh, right? All right, awesome. Save your TiVo room, all right? Goodness gracious, right? Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 is one sermon. We get the prophecy, listen, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. God prophesies through Isaiah, but he does it to a guy by the name of King Ahaz. Bad news. King Ahaz is like, Israel gone wild, okay? Things are not good here. And actually, God said, hey, um, Syria, I'm actually going to use Syria to come and judge you. They're like, we can't use Syria. God's like, I'm God. I'm going to use Syria to come and judge you because you guys keep running away. You keep running away, and I keep pursuing. And this is a way of me pursuing you to bring you back home. And God brings this prophecy Look up in verse 3 of chapter 7. It says, verse 3, that God tells Isaiah to go out and meet Ahaz by the pool. It's like a super specific location. And so listen, the way that any preaching and teaching happens up here should also equip you in your Bible study, okay? So the way that we preach should help you study your Bible. So I thought, that's a super specific location. I mean, you could type that into Google Maps and boom, you are right there. Why did God give all of this description? So I looked it up. This is actually the water supply to the kingdom. Ahaz hears that Syria is coming. Don't miss this. And he gathers all of his advisors, military guys, engineers, everybody. And they go to the city's water supply. And they're like, all right, we need this much water. We have to divert it here. We need to do all of this. And God tells Isaiah, go tell him right by the water supply with all of his advisors around that don't worry, God has a plan. You're like, awesome, Syria's coming. What's the plan? He's gonna send a baby. I'm I'm sorry, come again? Because we have generals and advisors and engineers here. You know what this is a picture of? This is worldly wisdom versus the wisdom of God. You better behave. You better get all this. Here's the advice. Here's the advice. Here's the advice. God comes along and says, you don't need advice. You need an announcement. You need an announcement. And listen to this word. And in the passage, it says, and again, the word came to Ahaz. And again, the word came to Ahaz. Because Ahaz is constantly hitting the decline button every time God calls. He's he's refusing it constantly. And he's turning to other things. And in this passage... We see behold, stop, gaze, look at what God is doing. Not behave. Why? Well, listen, here's the point. What you behold, you become. That's why God keeps saying, listen to my prophet. Listen to my prophet. You don't need worldly advice. You need an announcement. You need an announcement as to what this good and strong God is doing. Ahaz hits the decline button again. And then just a page over in your Bible in Isaiah 8, God pronounces something. He says this, Isaiah 8. What's the first word? Isaiah 8, verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And here it is. Isaiah saying this to King Ahaz. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of the Lord their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, this is God saying this, if they don't speak accordance to my word, it is because there is no dawn in them. That's like an Old Testament Southern way of saying, bless your heart. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever tells you, bless your heart around here, we got a situation on our hands, okay? God's saying, they speak as if they have no dawn. They have no light in what they're saying. It is not revelatory. It's only advice. And it's only going to get you a certain result. And then in Psalm 115, God says the same thing. He says the same thing to the people of Israel. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Do you know why that's important to know? Listen, every time, the story in here is for us because we're part of the story. Every time that Israel is in a season of needing to make a decision, uh, example, whenever God led them out in the Exodus, right? Moses goes up the mountain to FaceTime with God. That was a super cool thing. Lightning, smoke, and all that cool stuff. What do they do at the bottom of the mountain? Golden calf. Golden calf right? I'm always like, you couldn't have done a bear or a lion. You did a fat cow, right? I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's a big deal, right? Listen, anytime that we are in a season of testing where God is telling us to trust, our flesh will always turn to an idol. Why? Because it's something that we can see and touch. So if you're in a season where you feel that God is silent, watch your heart wander to a significant other on social media, I'm in this season and now I don't know what to do. So now the default setting of our hearts is to manufacture idols made in our own image. And so he says they're made by human hands, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. They have feet, but they don't walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Now here it is. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Listen, this is just the storyline of the Bible. What happens in the garden? In the garden of grace? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, broke God's law. And and how did that happen? Well, the enemy comes along and says, did God really say that this is a garden of grace? Because I don't think he did because God's totally holding out on you, because he's this big, mean God, and he knows that that one tree is so much fun that you will lose your mind, man. And what you need is you need to go outside of God's will in order to fully satisfy yourself. That's what you need. And then here's the story. So when the woman saw, behold, behold, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her passive weak husband who was with her, and he ate. Is that not in your translation? Then the eyes both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they hid themselves. What you behold... You become. And then God comes along and asks, Adam, where are you? And then Adam says, we hid ourselves because we are naked. And God asks two questions. Adam, where are you? And then the second question, who told you that? Who have you been talking to? Because what you behold, you become. And so God is not a mean, angry God saying, behave. He's saying, look to me because he is like a loving father who sees children running out into the road to play in traffic. And he's saying, don't go that way. Don't go that way. That's not going to satisfy you. That's not what you need. That ends in destruction. And he gets people around us in our life to live in community to tell us those things. And then he gives us his word. And why is this so important for us to understand? Why is this so heavy? Well, what the eyes look at, the heart will love. Well, the eyes behold, the heart begins to love and long for. And then when the heart loves it, the mind will justify it and the body will pursue it. So listen, the problem with, I don't know what it is. I don't, I'm not interested in the details, whether it's alcoholism, pornography, or what lying, steal. I don't care what the behavior is, okay? That's a result. That's the fruit. The root is what you are beholding in your life. So what's God's answer to us? What's the answer in this season? Well, 700 years later, we see that Luke records it. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, of his kingdom, Ahaz's kingdom had an end. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Why? Because this is the good And great king. And the announcement that God has for us is not advice to behave better and to try harder in this season. The announcement to us is to behold. And and listen, this always this is our goal, right? This is our goal at Westside, is to produce disciples who look like Christ, who then go out and make more disciples and produce more people that look like Jesus. And then the more you look like Jesus, the more people are like, hey, you look like Jesus. And you're like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And then oh, 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 they got saved and now they're going to become like Jesus. And then all of a sudden everything's changing now, right? That's the goal. So how do we do that? How do we at the very core do that? There is some behavior thing that comes. Sure, that's later. But what's the primary way that we can become like Christ? Guarantee our default answer is behave. That is not what the New Testament teaches. It teaches this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The, you become more like Jesus by the more you behold Jesus. That's the answer. So listen, the reason why we encourage Bible study prayer and this, that, and the other is because these are avenues in which we stop and we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. This is the good news during this season. So I want to close just with two questions. The first one is this. If the primary word and message that God has for us to describe this season and his coming is behold, and not behave, then that begs this question. How does that change your image of God? You see, oftentimes when I talk to non-Christians or maybe people who are like, think they're Christians, but they're really not, and then it's all like, I'm mad at God, and I'm like, okay, well, or I don't love that God. I'm like, okay, well, we'll we'll describe that God. Behave. I'm like, oh, great, good. Because I don't worship that God either. For Jesus has made it known. So when we see Jesus in the Gospels, and we see him touch the leper, and we see him love the woman caught in the act of adultery, but at the same time say, go and sin no more, what we say is God is loving like that. When we see that Zacchaeus has him over in his home, and Jesus enters in, we see that God is accepting like that. That's what changes everything in this season. But the second one is this. Archbishop William Temple said, religion is what you do with your solitude. Here's the translation. What do you daydream about? Because listen to me, what your mind freely wonders to and your heart freely wonders to, that's what you're beholding. And that's affecting the way that we behave and everything else. So, so are you beholding this ideal when the kids finally, and then when the church, and then when we finally get, and then we're there, is that if, does your mind always go to what it will be in the future? or is it constantly going to what God is doing now, beholding now? You see, the announcement of Advent in this season is behold, not behave. So we're gonna come forward and what we're gonna do at the table is we're gonna behold, we're we're gonna partake in the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed. And what we see in the early church is that this season is a mystery. That God, the author of the story, wrote himself in. And one of the ways that the early church would worship when they came to the table is they would say, Let us proclaim the mystery of the faith. Well, what is the mystery of the faith? Why do we come to the table? We come to the table because Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ is coming again. Behold, this is the good news of the God of the Bible. So Westside, let us stand to our feet and let us, like those who've begun before us, proclaim the mystery of the faith. Therefore, let us proclaim the mysteries of the faith. Westside, lift your voice. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful that your word to us today is behold. And may we stop and may we look to our risen King. May this forever change the image that we have of you in our minds. God, I pray that today that the image of this God who says, if you behave, then I will love you would be shattered into as many pieces of bread that we see at the table. Because what we see at the table is not a God who says, if you behave, then I'll love you. We see a God who says, look how I love you now, That is an announcement that changes everything. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you come forward and partake in the elements today as you fill.